0: Hey there, it's Kelly from Me. Before we get started on today's episode, I wanna invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you gotta do is check it out at zinnime.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Starting Accounting Podcast practice podcast with Zinni Mead, Miranda here with Rachel Ingalls. And I could not be more delighted to have this conversation where we're going to be really digging into what is that, what happens between the place of, I really want to be a therapist and help people in private practice and live a life that I love. And like, how do we get from like that vision of like, I want to do this to the reality of that being your daily life. So, Rachel, do you want to introduce people? Uh, introduce yourself to people. Share um, your name, your website, and where you're located.
0: Yeah. So I'm Rachel Engels. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist as of last year, finally, um, in California. Um, my practice is called Flourish Counseling Services, and my website is just my name, RachelEngels.com and um yeah i've been doing telehealth this year from my home office and making some big changes and here we are
1: here we are awesome so in a minute or less this is a question i love to ask why did you decide to become a therapist
0: mm. well my first job out of college was as a resident director at a college and i thought i was going to be doing like working with young adults and loving that um but the administrative parts of the job were, um, it was the majority of the job and it wasn't in service to people. And I had wondered when I was in school, taking you know my psychology classes, could I be a therapist or would that just drain me? Um, you know, it feels like such heavy work and can I really do that? But it was surprising working, working and living in a dorm and being around students all the time, The days that were most life-giving to me were when somebody came to me in crisis and needed Mm -hmm. actual help. um, And I felt like I could meet them in their life and and offer something of value. Um, So that to me was confirmation like, no, actually getting in there with people into the hard stuff is energizing and I could do this all day long. Um, So I left that job and started grad school
1: for counseling and it's been the road since then. Oh my goodness. So what year did you start grad school? That would have been 2011. So it's been, and now you got licensed last year. So it's it's been a track between like starting and now. Yeah. yeah. What happened in that in-between place? It was quite a road. We we started, I went to school in
0: Pennsylvania. And then after finishing my program there, um, my husband and I decided we were gonna move to California for his work and try to make life work out here. Um, But that was a huge challenge for me professionally because I lost all of my grad school internship connections. Mm. Any chance of a colleague who knew me, I didn't know where to begin. California had its own rules about everything and it was harder than Pennsylvania. (laughs) And um, because my supervisor in grad school had been licensed for 20 years or not licensed, but in the field for 20 years, she was allowed to supervise me for my program, but California would not count those hours. So I lost 750 hours toward licensure, didn't know where to start. Um, so it was, it was a haul. I, I got a full-time job at a, um, in a in a school of psychology as an administrative assistant, and thought, okay, well, people here know the psychological world. I'll I'll do something I kind of enjoy, um, mm. and make those connections. And it took it took a year before I found an internship site through a, a friend that I made at work. And it was just a piecemeal effort. Did volunteer hours in the evenings after work for a year. Had a baby. Uh, Figured it out for a year of what can I do, worked with kids. I, I went down from 40 hours to 30 hours to try and open up more time to do my clinical work. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was able to do a half-time position where I was working half administrative job, half in the counseling center um, mm-hmm. at the school where I was working. Um, but eventually the hours of that became unsustainable. I was doing Saturdays, I was doing And um, so I, I dove full time into someone else's private practice Mm. into a group practice um, Mm -hmm. to finish my hours. But it was, it was either a ton of work over many hours of many days and paying more than I could afford for childcare to try and make it work. um, Or it was, yeah, like not enough not enough hours doing it on my own and actually like paying to go to work (laughs) while I tried to just get the hours. Um, so that, that whole process took about eight years from start to finish. And then pandemic hits and I'm taking my exam, wearing a mask and (laughs) it was just the most grueling possible way.
1: Well, and I think you were, that also means that you were in that space where the time that you submitted your hours in California and the time for response was pretty long. I'm going yes. to make the assumption. Yeah, so, it was
0: about five months.
1: Yeah. So, wow. This is when you know you really want to be a therapist, <laughs> right? <laughs> when you just yeah. keep jumping through hoops for eight years. Yes. Going through that. with. Well,
0: And I think, I think that you're so right about that, that I had this awareness, even though it was so hard and I would never wish this process on my children or my, you know, my worst enemy, but I had this awareness as I was trying to make it work. And as I was working in this office job, not seeing clients, it felt like if I can't do this thing, I will explode. It Mm. just, it, it felt so real that that this is what I needed to do um Mm -hmm. that that kind of pushed me through all these logistical hoops to to
1: get there so like I am meant to do this work and Mm -hmm. I will take any hoop that you throw at me and (laughs) I probably at some point you've probably looked at your spouse and been like you know if we just waited another year before we moved from Pennsylvania this would have been a lot easier honey many (laughs) many things we could have done differently yeah but I think you don't know what you don't know. And I think that is something that I would I would say to anyone who's listening. If you are pre-licensed in a particular state um, and you're thinking about moving and thinking, well, it will be easier just to get licensed in the new state. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's much better to mm-hmm. finish it out in the state where you're at and then move um, and go through the licensure process to get an additional licensure, especially with telehealth. Um, Mm. now we have the option to, to see the clients, you know, in the state where we're licensed, even if we're living someplace else. I had a, a friend, a colleague in grad school and moved for, for her spouse, um, for a job for him. And it took her, it actually, that's exactly, it took her eight years to get a license. (laughs) (laughs) in the new state. And now it's actually, she's in Arizona. Now, if you're licensed kind of anywhere around the country and you want to go to Arizona you fill out a piece of paper and they will let you practice in Arizona. So like, like how life changes in 15 years, you know, you just never know. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you started in private practice with another group practice as a pre-licensed person. What were some things that you learned about private practice as an employee of somebody Mm. else what were Mm. the lessons you took away
0: oh well it was a really it was a really formative neat time even though it was challenging in that it was it was a group practice but you were even as a pre-licensed person you were pretty free to operate how you would Mm -hmm. like and there was one sort of guiding um theory that we all trained in and used but well, if you want to sprinkle in a little CBT, if you want to do a little bit of this, it was it was a lot of freedom to find your own voice and your mm. own procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, there also came challenges with that, though, because in and it was it was set up intentionally to give people a lot of space to be real people and to and to operate at a pace that their life needed, but it it sort of left a vacuum of. Um, structure to mm-hmm. and procedure, and it was a lot of a lot of um, figure it out as you go, and so that was that was both a blessing and a curse at times. <clears throat>
1: right? You're like clinically, I love this freedom, but like organizationally, it'd be nice to know like, well, how does this like? What's a way that this works? Yes. Just to start, and then to move away from that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Mm. And and I. I realized too that there's such a different mindset between licensed and pre-licensed where Mm -hmm. it seemed sometimes like the licensed folks in the practice were a little bit more established or they were coming at it later in life or second career or their spouse was well-established. And so there was this sort of patience about like, oh, your clients will come and it's a slow buildup and it'll work. And it's like, I I can't afford my life right now, but I have to be doing this thing. Um, and it sort of lit the fire under me of what what would it take to get this moving in a way that's sustainable. And um, it was really it was really trial by fire to figure that out. And good practice. I didn't know that I'd be launching out on my own as soon as I did, but it was oh. it was good to start testing the waters of what would my policies be if I were doing this on my own. And what, what days of the week can I sustainably work around my family's schedule? And I can play around with that and do it again. So that when I was out on my own, I was like ready to implement and make it happen.
1: I think that's so interesting. It, it is, the, there's a systemic piece in our profession that we tend to, to have very privileged people that end up in this profession, because if you don't have a partner to take care of you, if you don't have parents to pay for your thing, if you don't have these other pieces, then the systemic way that we have things set up in terms of, um, of post postgraduate support, it's just not there. It's like, okay, I could live this way on student loans But now my student loans are coming due and I still have 3000 or 2200 hours to gain after Mm -hmm. I, you know, graduated, like, what does that look like? Um, And I know even years ago, I got very lucky to have a job that paid $16 an hour, you know, (laughs) you know, like, ooh, like everyone's like, wow, you're so lucky, you know. And that was in a place that had, you know, a much lower cost of living than than other areas of California. So it was sort of doable, but that's, it's it's such an interesting piece. And, and it's so varied from state to state. There are states where when you graduate, you can go out and start to open up your practice. You have to have supervision, but you can open up your own business, charge what you want to charge, do something. And I think, and it seems that those states that allow that as a practice, people tend to be more financially successful. They're not Mm -hmm. sitting in debt for, you know, years and years trying to figure it all out. It's, Mm -hmm. I think we need some systemic change in many of the states across the United States and definitely in California. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when did you, when did you get licensed and when did you open up your own shingle? Mm. I... I took my exam in June of last year during the pandemic and Mm. then
0: was, was licensed in July. Mm. Um, when did I officially, I, I kept, I kept with it at the group practice where I was for several more months and I intended to stay there long-term. I, Mm. it wasn't, it wasn't the most financially, um, advantageous place to be. There was a high overhead for the office space and sort of, Mm. um, the, sort of like the membership fee to be part of that practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a beautiful space, wonderful people. But in so many ways, like the this process and this year of the pandemic have been so challenging. But in other ways, I'm so grateful for the squeeze mm-hmm. of all that I couldn't shift there were only mm-hmm. so many ways I could shift my hours. There were only such financial realities I could work around. I also, by the way, um, had another child in January right before the pandemic hit. So I took my exam with a four-month-old and like, was trying to navigate all the. And there's only so far one person can stretch. Yeah. Um, so I really, it was out of necessity mm-hmm. um, toward the end of the year. My husband was working really long hours and I was juggling a lot and realized this, if I'm going to survive as a therapist and also as like a parent and a human being, I need I need more margin in my life. And so it was a really painful decision actually to leave that group Mm -hmm. practice and realize I've been I've been doing virtual therapy since the end of maternity leave here from my home. And it's working fine for people. Mm -hmm. It might not be what I want to do forever, but. It, it works and it can it it can usher our family into a different chapter sort of financially and even just bandwidth and emotional health wise to, mm-hmm. to have less um, less commute time less everything mm-hmm. um, so I I don't think I would have had the the push or the courage to make such a huge leap so soon mm-hmm. without those constraints Um but I, I find myself really grateful that I had them because now that we're here and I'm, I'm doing this on my own I, I started in January of this year and became officially incorporated in May so I've been it's been a process of just getting everything set up um, and a lot of work with that but but also it's finally like life is finally taking on the breathing room that I've needed all along and um, just, Just, it's been a process of almost like deprogramming from the pre-licensed mindset of, I'm here to just make it work and I will scrape by and I'll work as hard as I need to. And now it's like, okay, I I can take my foot off the gas pedal and now actually decide what makes sense for my life. What can my family sustain? What do our finances need? How can I like do this in a way that I still have some joy in my life to have the energy to keep going? And it feels like such a different existence from
1: you. That is so powerful. That place of like, we spend our time as therapists sitting down with clients to say like, what do you really want out of life? And what, it, what needs to happen for you to get there? And then, you know, sometimes as therapists <laughs> we're the ones sitting there to like, we're like, my life is in champ. Don't look behind the curtain. Like nothing is, there's nothing to see here. Um, and yeah, our clients can see it and feel it when mm-hmm. we are not in alignment. And so I think there is something, it's not that we need to be perfect, but we do need to be kind of living in um, <clears throat> in authenticity. You know, we need to be like kind of saying like, yeah, I know it's really hard. I know it's really hard to, to say no to some certain things or to let go of things from the past so that you can live in truth and live in integrity yeah you know that like this is my this is my value these are the things i say that i really want and this is where i'm putting my time and energy
0: yes and it's been easier to say that to people because i've now lived through it i can i can challenge people in ways i would have been too much of a chicken to do for myself before but now it's like no i know you can make hard choices and say no to things that have felt important because you need something else right now. Yeah. And to be able to, to really believe that as I say it, cause I've gone through it, the parallel
1: is really cool that way. Yeah. And to understand even the grief involved in that, like, you know, the grief of like, wow, I thought I would be at this place for forever. Like I thought I would be at this location. Like this felt really good, even though there were things that didn't work, but like, oh, wow. Like, it's, it's a sad thing to walk away from, you know, these experiences and these people. And even if those things were not like completely
0: 100%. Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision, to setting your fee, to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly therapistbusinessschool school to get started
1: healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. systemically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So day one, when you started your practice, how many clients came over from the group practice with you? Um, Um, All
0: all of them that I had had. And I, it, over the course of the pandemic, I had to, I had to really cut down um, my numbers. I think I was at around 24 a week Mm -hmm. early on, but many of them were sliding scale. And I, I just had no time for any administrative stuff or any, <laughs> any quality of life. So, I I cut my caseload by about half, referred some people out. Um, some people decided they were done. Some people raised their fee. Um, and then by the time I was kind of in my in my sweet spot and transitioning to my own thing, I mean it. It really has been about. About 12, give or take, a week. Mm -hmm. And that for me with two little kids is perfect. It gives me room to do all the other parts of continuing learning and um, just continuing to become the therapist I want to be before I'm just flooded with every hour of my week booked.
1: Yeah. And when you look at like the income for you now, 12 clients a week versus the income that you had before with 24 clients a week, how does it compare?
0: it's my take-home pay is more than before. And part of that is the lower cost that I have no overhead for working from home. And I, I don't know what it will be yet, but as an S-corp, there's going to be all these business deductions I can take from having a home office space and all my business expenses. So the the um, income has gone up and the expenses have gone down, not in a way that's like off the charts crazy, but in a way that's like, okay, my life can finally work now. Like this mathematically makes sense. <laughs> and that's been a really nice experience.
1: I think that is, it's such an interesting thing of like the math of it all. And I know like we do this a lot in boot camp where people will go in and do the Excel spreadsheet and start putting in the numbers of like, these are my expenses. This is what I'm looking at, this amount of clients that I want to see. And they look at <clears throat> what is like this is the amount I'm charging versus this is what I need to take home. And it's so easy to feel like, Oh my gosh, hundred dollars is a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you start putting in the numbers and looking at expenses and taxes and all these other things and you're like, Oh, it's not a lot. Like, Oh yeah. wait, this is a different, like, Oh wait, I have to, it's not just that they're paying for that time that I'm sitting in front of them in the office. Yes. Either I have to do the bookkeeping or I have to outsource the bookkeeping. Either I have to answer the phones or I have to outsource the phones. Like all of these other pieces mm-hmm. um, are there. And I think that's, that's such a, um, a big transition um, moving into business ownership is that looking at resource of, that we only have so much time, right? That is our like most limited resource as a business mm-hmm. owner. And so we're constantly going like, okay, does it make sense for me to do that? Or does it make sense to automate or outsource? And what's the cost of doing that? Mm-hmm. And looking at like that balancing act.
0: Definitely. It's so much. And fun. I'll say, as, as you're talking about the spreadsheet and all these other like outside the session expenses, the mindset of going through that in bootcamp and like actually doing the math and seeing what else you need to account for mm-hmm. to pay for the opportunity to go to conferences or to do a training here or there, all these things. It helped me actually write a template email to my clients when I was about to raise my fee was sort of this FAQ about why does therapy cost so much? And like, what does this fee pay for? And is it going to keep going up and blah, blah, blah. And it gave me the language to be like, actually everything that your fee makes possible, everything that happens outside of session for me to be the person that I am in our work together so that I'm, I'm continually learning and growing, consulting with other people, Mm -hmm. doing trainings in my own therapy. So I always know what it's like to be a client. And it was a really cool experience. One of my, one of my favorite clients replied back to that. Of like thank you for this like it's so informative and like absolutely your new fee is like more than worth it for all of this mm. it's just like when to own that confidence and to see people like ready to be on board has been so cool
1: I think it's it's just uh, when we don't know where our fee comes from when it's made up When we pulled it off of psychology today or somebody else, or we went like, oh, my supervisor charged this much, so I'll charge $20 less than them, right? It's just this weird made up number. Mm -hmm. When somebody goes like, wow, that's a lot. Like our normal response is like, oh my God, it is. Like, is it too much? Like what's going on? Versus if we understand the like, this is the math and these are the pieces and this is what this prepares me for. I think Mm -hmm. this is, I think there's a lot of people that are experiencing what you're experiencing, where they've been working for someone else, they've gone through this pandemic experience, they've been working from home, they've been doing telehealth, and they're like, you know what, I think I could do this on my own. Like, I Mm -hmm. think this could be like, this is totally doable, like I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of those individuals who are doing that or in that experience, they, they don't understand this business aspect of it. And so there's going to be a lot of people undercharging, a lot of people not understanding how to like figure out their taxes, make sure that they have time, pull their pulling their caseload down, all these these other pieces. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's going to be some um, some sticker shock at mm-hmm. tax time. There's yeah. going to be some like sticker shock uh, when somebody's like, I have all this money coming in. Yes. Why am I still struggling? Like, what's mm-hmm. going on? If people don't sit down and start to whether it's going to their norm, their local like sba right there's a small business association it's a little hard sometimes i've heard from other therapists because sba doesn't necessarily understand what we do as therapists but it can still be a starting point and like completely free resources Mm -hmm. or whether it's going through and doing like free trainings like ours like the hardest set free training you can get at zinni.com like something to go out and start figuring out who you are as a business owner so that you can show up on who you want to be as a therapist in the room, right? That business owner hat that we learned to put on is all in service of being able to give great outcomes to clients, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay. So what for, for you, when you look at like where things are at right now, and where you want to be a year from now? What, where do you see yourself? Are you like in a place where you're like, like, what's your goal over the next year? Is it just like, I love exactly where it's at. Like, how are you feeling? Mm. That's
0: a great question. I think I, for this chapter of life, the setup that I have makes a lot of sense. I, I always feel like if I, if the gates flew open and I had no limits, like I would just get in there and go nuts. And, um, but it's probably really good for me that I'm in this stage of, no, I have these little kids who need to operate around school hours. And I, I have to like play the long game for my whole career and not just dive into everything I find interesting right now. So for me, this is a really good season of discipline to just really hone my procedures and my, my habits in my own life and my like sense of balance. So that little by little as I'm able to add more, mm-hmm. do more specialties, take on more clients, do, do other types of things um, or add other interest areas to my practice, then I will be ready to do that without everything crumbling. Like I really, it really feels like let's just solidify the infrastructure and like know that that's super solid and working well Um, but also like a year from now, I'm really excited that my, my life outside of being a therapist will be a lot different. I think the the process of having to do this, these hard business things has had these ripple effects for just my normal life. And it's, it's pushed me to take a more serious calculated look at finances and like, okay, where do I want to be for retirement? Where do I want to be in terms of home ownership in California, like it's not just hypothetical anymore. It's like, okay, we're identifying where I want to get to. And then seeing what needs to happen to work toward that. Like it has pre-licensure. It all felt completely out of reach hypothetical, like, okay, someday. And now it's like, okay, this is someday that we're like on the road to someday. And let's make sure that what's going on now is actually feeding into that future that we have wanted for our family and our kids and um so I'm excited to just be making the small steps to bring that all into reality
1: I think it's it's a true like there's a certain point where like the idea of like saving or budgeting during grad school or um or even during pre-licensure feels like sort of like well yeah I'm on a budget like Yeah. (laughs) Like, it doesn't feel like there's any like room to like play or think about like financial health or what have you. It's sort of like, it's just here's my simple math of like everything goes to a place and I just try to keep my debt as (laughs) low as possible, you know, pay down a little bit. I sent an extra $20. Like, that's what I got. Like, yeah. And then to get into a place of like, oh, wow, what does it look like to? Um, to to be done with debt what does it look like to have financial health um, and to know that that isn't that isn't too much to ask for as a yeah. therapist to be fiscally healthy yeah. you know to be financially healthy to to not be saddled with a ton of debt to have savings and backup to to have goals um, for home ownership or whatever your your goals may be that like that is absolutely. Acceptable. It's not too much to ask for. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I think as therapists, like there's all is always this idea of like, oh well, you know, well if someone wants to be like super wealthy or what have you, it's not. It a who cares? Like, yes, that's a perfectly appropriate goal for whatever people have, but also, it is not too much to just want to be financially healthy. Yeah, you know.
0: Well, and again, that that mindset shift. I think for so long maybe for me personally, but I think also for therapists as a whole, it's like, we find our value in how much we can give away. It's like, how much can I serve? How much can I pour out for other people? Like, that's what draws us to our field, but Mm -hmm. I'm also allowed to benefit from what I built here. And that is like a reasonable thing to ask.
1: Yeah. I always, um, the, the visual that always comes up for me um, with helpers and healers is this idea of like, we have this like pitcher, right? Like lemonade and we go and we pour it out for everybody. And then we're so focused on trying to make sure that everybody has a little to drink. We're like running into the picture, in, running into the kitchen with a pitcher and we put in just enough water to come out and like fill someone's glass. And then we go in and <laughs> we put in just enough, you know, lemon and we're coming out with like this much in our pitcher just keeping it empty all the time versus like, what would it be like to like sit in your kitchen, take an hour and mm. like really like fill up that pitcher completely mm. and let it be like, wow, it's overflowing. Wow, guys, bring your glasses in. I've got mm. so much lemonade here. Mm. There's enough for everyone. And I don't have to worry about it being on empty <laughs> all the time. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what is your, for someone that is, has been where you're at, um, I think especially with like private practice, maybe they're in a group practice, they're trying to figure it out, the, the finances, they're realizing it's not something they can sustain long-term and they're thinking about going off on their own. What would be your biggest piece of advice to them?
0: My internet froze for the first half of that question. It was, can you say it again?
1: Yeah. Um, For someone who is maybe where you are at, they're working for someone else, um, they're realizing it's not sustainable time-wise or financially, and they're thinking about starting out on their own, what would be your advice to that person?
0: I think two things. I would say learn what you can from that experience for as long as you have to make it work, that even the things that aren't working about your current setup or about your current balance of life is like really good information, write it down. Don't forget that that needs to change in your future reality so that you're actively working toward that. But also um, in my, in my experience, you don't have to wait for the overwhelm to lift or for the finances to completely make sense to go and do that. Sometimes necessity will drive you even faster to what you need. And mm. it might be hard, um, but you. It's, it reminds me of, of first starting out in sessions. It's like, you only need to know what to do for one session. And then you can go talk to your supervisor and figure out what's next. Like just get through those 50 <laughs> minutes and you're good. Just keep the conversation going. And, and in some ways that's, that's what this process it has to be sometimes too it's like nice to imagine oh I could have it perfectly mapped out and do it at a time that's perfect and I don't it'd be nice if that's the reality for some people and bless them I'm glad um, but if not it doesn't you you can make it work as you go and each little piece that falls into place um, the more you need it to happen I think the quicker and more efficiently it can go and the the, I mean, there is no room for procrastinating because you just need a different reality. So in some ways, I think that's the best situation to be when you're kind of burning for a change and find people who will hold you accountable to that and help you say those hard, draw those hard lines for yourself.
1: Yeah, I was. that was private practice for me, was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm supposed to do this and I have to make it work and like, here it is. And it wasn't planned for (laughs) at all. Like it was not planned for. And obviously like with, with camp and the stuff that we do, we're always like, here's the nice way that you can plan for things or what have you. But at the end of the day, when your spirit or your, you know, higher power, whatever says, do it. Sometimes you just do it and you just trust that the pieces are going to fall into place. And that's definitely how I did private practice. And so I always think it's funny, like, and. Kelly is definitely the, she'll be like, okay, here are the things you need to do, figure out how much six month buffer or what have you. And we'll be like, yeah, 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 that's all great. And, you know, if you're the person that you have like really sat in meditation or prayed or what have you, and like, this is the time for you, sometimes you, you do step out of faith and you take that risk and, and see what happens. And Mm -hmm. it's been, um, it's okay, you know, to do what works for you you know definitely so oh my goodness gracious again thank you so much for coming so rachelingles.com that's e n g e l s.com um she's in california and we didn't even talk about your specialty do you want to tell people what you specialize in
0: yeah mostly i work with trauma anxiety grief couples and faith So however those all intersect, um, (laughs) those are my faves.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. Awesome. So check out rachelingles.com. If you are someone who's trying to figure out your private practice, you can go to zinnie.me.com. We have um, lots of free trainings for you to get started, how to set your fee, how to figure out your niche, um, all that good stuff, get on our list and we will make sure and support you. We have over 10 hours of free training for you. Some of them even come with CEs. So we wanna help support you through this process. You can do this. We need more therapists out there right now, um, truly. Um, there are more people looking than we have bandwidth for in terms of therapists. So um, please, if you're feeling that stirring and that calling now might be the time and we'd love to support you. So. Until next time. Bye, guys.
0: I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice head over to com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.